Lord, we just thank you that in the name of Jesus, every circumstance can be changed. Every challenge can be overcome. Every battle can be won. Lord, we just declare the victory right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus. Jesus, you do change everything. So if you're here right now and you're sick in the name of Jesus, we just declare together that you were healed in the name of Jesus. If you're facing a challenge that you do not see the answer to in the name of Jesus, together we declare victory over your circumstance. Lord, we just pray repair. We pray restoration. Lord, we pray that you would change every circumstance, everything that the enemy has tried to bring, every weapon that the enemy has formed against us, we declare will not prosper. Will not prosper in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, Father, we just pray that the word this morning would accomplish the thing that you've sent it to do. God, open our hearts, open our spiritual ears to hear what you have to say. And God, I just pray that you would speak through me. Speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, guys, you can be seated. Kids, you can go to the kids' zone. Amen. It's good to have Kelso Ball in the house. <laughs> yeah, good to have him back. Even if it's just for a day, we'll take it, man. We'll, we will take it. We're excited about that. All right, as the kids are going downstairs, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, have you ever been in a situation like where you felt completely out of place? Like, I, you know, like you were the only guy at a women's conference or something like that? I mean, you were, you were completely out of place. I think the, the, mo the time that I felt most out of place is when I went on a mission trip to Peru and I got off the plane in uh, Lima, Peru, and there was like, I don't know, six or seven of us Americans got off the plane and we were the only ones who spoke English, and there was a lot of chatter, a lot of chaos. We had no idea where we were going, who we were, who we were supposed to meet. I mean, it was, a, it was a crazy moment when we got there. But eventually, we, we found who we were. I think we were easy to spot, you know, so they, so they figured out who we were and helped us out. But there's those moments when we feel really out of place. So let me ask you this. You know, normally, like on Friday afternoon or Saturday, you'll run into somebody and somebody will say something like this, what are you doing this weekend? And as long as you say something like, going to the lake, cool. Uh, going shopping, oh, where are you going shopping at? Um, we're going to go see a movie. Which movie? I love, I can't, I, I saw that movie last week. It, it's great. You can even probably in this area say, going to church. Good. But what if you said, what are you doing this weekend? Well, Sunday, I'm going to gather together with some believers of Jesus Christ, and we're going to lift up the name of Jesus, and we're going to glorify his name, and we're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we are going to pray, and we're going to declare the kingdom of God is near, and we're going to cast out demons, and we're going to heal the sick, and we're going to raise the dead, and we're going to cleanse the lepers, and we're going to see the supernatural come. Then how do you think the person at the, checking you out at Walmart's I was just asking. I really, you know. <laughs> so we live in a day in 2021, soon to be 2022, that's different than our parents grew up in. 
50, in the last 50 years, we've gone from what sociologists and politicians and people call a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. Now, don't get offended by that. What that means is that there was a time in the United States of America and Western civilization where the church had a lot of influence. Government was based on the church, and a lot of things were based on Christianity and the, the laws and everything that was based on that. And now we've moved to a time where, unfortunately, some of us, some of you, if you're a believer, and among some circles, you're the enemy. Do you know that? You are the one keeping them from doing what they want to do. You're the one with the opposing view. And so now we've moved into what they call post-Christian culture where the church is no longer the center of everything. Actually, we're on the fringe now in a lot of circles. Now, we don't feel it as much in southeastern Kentucky as you would, say, in L.A. or New York or Portland right? Atlanta. You don't, we don't feel that. But, we, we, but because of things like the internet and 24-hour news cycles and all this stuff, used to when there was like a crazy idea someone developed in UC Berkeley in California, it took, you know, maybe a year to get here. Now we get, we're just here the next day. And so much of this is against what we as Christians believe and what we Christians are sent here to do. And so we're now, we're, we're viewed as the people who are intolerant. We're, we're viewed as the people who are so radically conservative that we're out of touch. All those terminologies that people use. And so in, I'm just beginning a new sermon series this morning called Exiles. Because in the Bible, it talks about people who are exiled into foreign countries, who are exiled into foreign cultures. And, and we're going to look at Today, mainly 1 Peter, but over the next few weeks, we're going to look at 1 Peter and the book of Daniel. Daniel was an exile, right? And, and so let me read you this definition of an exile. Walter Brueggemann said this, the an exile is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. This sense of exile is experienced by anyone who feels alienated, cast adrift, or marginalized by their inability or unwillingness to conform to the tyranny of majority opinion. Does that sound familiar? Because as a Christian, we're pretty isolated here in London, Kentucky, but it's growing, it's changing, the culture's changing to where we are no longer the majority opinion. You think about the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people in your neighborhood. We finally, or we suddenly find ourselves being the minority and the opinions of the majority are different than ours. And so we're faced with really three choices. One is separation. Now, the most famous for separation would, would be um, the um, Mennonites or the, those people who sort of separate the Amish. Amish have their own culture. The Amish separate. They go their own way. They don't really mix with culture, you know. But the problem with that, the Amish, as wonderful it is, and there's some great movies about Amish. We love Amish and Amish food and Amish bread and Amish everything. However, they don't really impact the culture because they're all in this little pod somewhere doing their own thing, right? 
We've seen separation occur back in the day. Some of the more fundamentalist uh, churches, you know, wouldn't go to ball games, wouldn't go see a movie. And I'm beginning to think they were onto something because the way that the entertainment is today, maybe we need to, you know, stay away from the entertainment. But they would sort of just stay away from anything that appeared to be of the world so they would not even mix with the world. Again, the problem with that is we've been sent as believers to live in a world but not be of the world. We've been sent to impact our world. And so if we go off and buy a 100-acre farm and we, we build a commune and we're all there together and we all believe the same way and we grow our own food and everything, that's going to be great for us. However, those things never end well. Um, Ruby Ridge, David Koresh, Jim Jones, those things don't end well. They start great, but they don't end well. So, you know, that sounds good, but it will never impact our culture. So we can't be separatist. The other, the second option is called syncretism. That's where you just sort of blend in. You become a chameleon. Don't do anything to stand out. Don't do anything to be different. Just sort of go with the flow. And that's where we begin to see separatism is really legalism. Syncretism is liberalism. And it's where we just sort of go along with the flow. And if that's the way culture is going, our church is going to go that way too. And if that's what all my friends believe, I'll just believe it too. And if that's the way all my friends act, that's the way I'm going to act too. And so we just blend in and we begin to disappear. And the church begins to disappear because no longer are we a light shining, a city shining on a hill. But we're just part of the landscape. God's called the church to be a city on a hill. It's called to be a light that shines in the darkness, right? And, and if you read Isaiah 60, it talks about this light that pierces the darkness and it draws all men to it. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to be, right? So the, the third option is what I hope that we choose is being a remnant, and the Bible has always talked about a remnant. It's that group of people who, whether they're in Babylon or they're in Syria or they're in Jerusalem or wherever they're at, they're the group that stays true to the word of the Lord, that stays true to the things of God, and they eventually impact the culture around them so the culture begins to assimilate to them rather than assimilating to the culture. So I'm going to read just a few things today out of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now let's, so he's writing this to exiles. This is going to be important as we go through this series. He's writing this to exiles, people who are no longer in their home country. They're in a different culture. They're in a different land. God's placed them there, and he's writing to them. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Say that with me. Living hope. One more time. Living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's the, here's the first thing I want us to see. He says that we've been given a living hope. Now, we may be the minority in a culture. We may see all of our culture going against what we believe, what we hope would happen in our culture, but we have been given a living hope. And so who is the living hope? Jesus. So here's the thing I want us to see about this morning. Our hope is not in someone who died 2,000 years ago. Our hope is not in a collection of stories, but a word that is living and alive and sharp, right? That's what our hope is in. And so we still, when we see culture going against what the church is saying, when we see culture changing daily, we, we look at the news and we, we see it and, and we, you, know, you hear things like we're going to hell in a handbasket. Y'all heard that recently in the last 12 months or so? That we still have a living hope. We have a hope that's alive. And the hope is Jesus. Our hope is not in politics. Listen, I, I think over the last several years, the church has taken this posture is if we could just get politics right, then we could have a revival. And that is so backwards. It's if we could have revival, we could have a nationwide, worldwide revival, then we'll begin to see politics follow the revival rather than if we could just get the right laws, get the right people in office, then we could have revival. I'm going to tell you something. The church has been more powerful, thrived more in difficult circumstances than ever in prosperity. The early church was dealing with the tyranny of the Roman government. They were being burned, fed to lions, crucified, but the church was powerful at that time. And they were more interested in getting their neighbor saved than getting a new Nero or getting a new Caesar. They were more concerned with loving their neighbor and, and showing Jesus to their culture, to their neighborhood, and the people they lived with than overthrowing the government. And somehow the church has become more concerned with overthrowing the government, not not revolution, not war battles, guns, just then we are winning our neighbor. Think about the conversations you've had with the people that you know recently. How many of them have been focused on politics and policies and laws and governance rather than, you know, Joe is lost? And so our hope is in Jesus. And even in this time, in 2021, our hope is in Jesus. And our hope is in a revival that he brings to change the culture through us, through you, the church. Amen? So the other thing it says is that our faith is being tested. And man, what pressure do Christians have now to conform? To conform their views 
on sexuality, gender, politics, culture. We're being pressured to conform so much. Our faith is being tested. And there are so many things that the enemy has brought against us to try to divide us, to get us angry at each other, to cause confusion. And our, te- our faith is being tested and it's going to show genuine if we will stay in the word and we keep our hope in Jesus and nothing and no one but Jesus, right? And it says that the end result here is when our faith is tested and it's shown to be true and faithful, then it brings glory and honor and praise to Jesus. And that's the goal here. And so if the lie is, if we begin to act more like the world, we can reach the world. If, if we will compromise and take the views of the world, then they will be more willing to hear us. And that's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture says that if we will tr- hold true to our faith, then he will be glorified. Then there will be praise to his name. Then he will be honored. Amen? And so there's this call on our lives to be different, not to blend in and hide. So let me read to you verses 13 through 16, same chapter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope, again, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We have to prepare our minds... Bible talks about having our minds renewed. And the reason for that is, is because the tyranny that we're dealing with is not tyranny of if you preach Jesus, I'm going to put you in jail. That's not yet. It's not the tyranny is if you attend a Christian church, we will come in and shoot you. That's not yet. It's the tyranny of thoughts. It's the, the, the tyranny of morality. It's the tyranny of new ways of looking at things and opinions and that is constantly trying to oppress us into beginning to think like they think. I I want to tell you there's an assault on our young people that what we grew up knowing was wrong, they're saying it's just lifestyle choice. They were born that way. Well, murderer was born that way. Can't, can't, can't accuse him of murdering somebody. He was born a murderer. Born a liar. So we're, the, all these things, and because they're, they're such good people. Yeah, they're good people, but they're lost. And we love them. We love those who see things differently than we do. 
We always lead with love. Amen. I hope that's how you lead. We lead with love. We're going to love them. But we're not going to bow to the tyranny of we're wrong because culture says this is the way it should be. And when the Word of God says this is the way it should be. Right? And then it says that we're to be obedient to what God teaches us. We're to be obedient to the Word of God. And we're not to conform so this syncretism thing doesn't work. Let me tell you what happens when we begin to blend in Nazi Germany. Slavery in the South. When the church says the, the, the climate and, and the culture that drives the economy of the South is slavery of human beings. So the church then will stay quiet because I do not want to offend the wealthy and the powerful in my community. So I'm going to find scripture that supports that that's okay. And so they conformed. And we look back at that and say how ugly that was. And I hope we're repentant of the way the church handled that. Even though it was not you and me, it was the church. It was the United States of America. We should be repentant that we handled human beings like that, right? Yes. Yes. And today, we're being asked to conform on things like abortion. It's not killing a baby. It's a woman's choice over her health. Gender confusion. Destroying God's plan for marriage. And when the church begins to say those things are okay and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be different. I'm just going to blend in. Then the church begins to again disappear. And God's plan is not for you and me to disappear. We're exiles. We're in a foreign country. We're in a land that speaks a different language than us spiritually. But we're here to affect and impact the culture, not to blend in and hide and just go along to get along. We've got to be different. And if that means you don't, you don't, you know, get along, that means that you're going to be different, that you're going to be ostracized a little bit, that there's going to be some people that won't like you anymore, so be it, because God's what God's called us to do. I'm not, calling you, I'm not telling you to be a jerk just for the sake of being a jerk. That's not what God tells us to do. We're to love these people. We're to be kind. But we have to continue to be the church, the remnant that stands for what the Word of God stands for and who Jesus wants us to be and not just blend in, right? And then tells us also look at for, uh, chapter 2 verse 11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. I urge you, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. 
And so there's, we, we have the, the world that we're dealing with, the views of the world, the culture that we're dealing with. And at the same time, he's saying, listen, you're, you're, in the, you're in the middle of this stuff. Your flesh is going to want to desire some stuff. Your, your, your flesh, and, and you may be thinking of all kinds of things, and there's all kinds of things that the flesh begins to desire, but sometimes the flesh desires comfort. And so it's easier to blend in so that I'm not uncomfortable. You know that conversation at work and everybody's talking about something that's contrary to the Word of God and you know it's wrong and, and so it's easier the flesh is just to sort of stay silent or to blend in or to even agree. And the world is telling us, just do what your flesh says. Just be happy. Do what your flesh says. You want to have sex outside of marriage? Do it. Just be happy. You, you want to drink yourself into oblivion every weekend? Do it. Be happy. You want to steal? You want to lie? You want to cheat? If it makes you happy, just do it. Because our flesh, listen, we were born into sinful flesh. And our flesh desires to go against what the Word of God says. And so he's saying, listen, you've got to go against yourself. You've got to make decisions against what your flesh desires. You, you've got to constantly make the decision that I'm going to go in line with the Word of God rather than what my flesh says. And when we do that, it says that even if they speak bad of you, they're eventually going to see God in you, and they're going to glorify God. And so God's calling us to be a people that does not conform He's not calling us to run and hide. He's calling us to be in the culture as foreigners, as exiles, as people who are different, as people who may not fit into every conversation and every group, but at the same time, he's calling us to be people who are of God, who are holy and righteous. And those words are not popular. We start talking about being holy. Well, wait a minute. You're saying I've got to be perfect. No, I'm saying to be holy. And live a life that's righteous before the people, that's holy before the people, that honors God before the people. So that the people who are lost and who do not know Jesus, when they see us, will see something different. And the Bible's promise is, the culture is not going to tell you this, but the Bible's promise is when we do that, it actually draws people to Jesus. So that's where God's calling us to be a people who are different. Next week we're going to look at Daniel. And we're going to see how Daniel was placed in another country. He was completely different. And how he made decisions that brought, brought people to God. And so what I want us to do this morning is just consider, consider our own lives. Not, not your neighbor's lives. Not no one else's lives. Your own life. Is there any area that you've just tried to separate yourself so much that you're of no impact? Is there an area where you've tried to blend in so much and conform so much that you're no longer an impact? You don't even, people don't even know you're a Christian. Maybe in that, listen, are, are there circles they don't even know you're a Christian? Are there circles where what God's doing in your life has no impact? Again, I'm not calling us to be jerks. God's not calling us to be jerks. 
but he's calling us to be salt and light. He's calling us to change our culture. And if you're thinking, well, listen, man, I, I'm just one little person in little London, Corbin, Kentucky. I'm in southeast Kentucky, wherever you live. And, and I'm just one little person. And I can't change the whole world. You probably can't, but you can change your world. You, you can change the circle of people that, that God's put you in. And if we just day by day say, God, who do you want me to impact today? What do you want me to impact today? What in my life needs to change today? Who do you want me to speak to today? How do you want me to impact my culture today just in my little circle? If we're all doing that, we'll see great change and we'll see revival come. Amen. All right, guys, would you stand with me?